Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Thank you, choir and orchestra and Jay. This is a tough time of year for anybody who sings or preaches with this pollen that's in the air, but uh, the Lord takes care of it, doesn't He? Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 is our text this morning. And it is very fitting that on... This calendar date and next Sunday, which we call Easter Sunday, of course, I will tell you that every Sunday is Easter Sunday because the resurrection is to be celebrated the first day of the week, the day in which Christ rose from the dead. And uh, our calendar just marks it down as one day. But in the life of the church, we gather to worship every Sunday, the first day of the week. You know, one of the biggest lies the devil has told our society is that Sunday is the weekend. But it's not. It's the first day of the week, isn't it? The week to gather and be with God's people that day. So it's very fitting that on this Sunday and next Sunday, we are entering into 2 Peter chapter 2, in particular, verse 1. Because what is traditionally highlighted, uh, redemption and resurrection, are spoken of and addressed in this verse, chapter 2 and verse 1. Peter has been building up to this chapter, this second chapter. And uh, he has been telling us some wonderful things. Awesome things, heartwarming, encouraging, motivating truths about our salvation. He has uh, told us that God has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus that pertains unto godliness. You have everything you need in Jesus, in Christ, to be what God wants you to be, to live the Christian life, to honor God with your life and your living Be what God wants you to be. You've been given that. Nothing more to gain. You just got to appropriate it. He has instructed us in this first chapter on how to live with assurance. The highest assurance of salvation. And then he has given us a more sure word. He says you have the Bible. You have the Word of God. And we spent some weeks in that talking about the Bible. This perfect treasure of divine truth. And how God gave us this inspired, His inspired, God-breathed Word through 
holy men of God who spoke as they were moved, lifted up by the Holy Spirit. So a holy God used the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired holy men who wrote a holy word, a holy Bible, inerrant, infallible, sufficient and authoritative. It is all we need to know God and understand Him and live as He would have us to live. We quoted that verse that Paul wrote to young Timothy in the, his last letter, one of the last words of Paul. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, you and me, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Chapter 1 has been a great chapter, an exciting chapter, a tremendous blessing to anybody who is redeemed. <laughs> but chapter 2 begins with, but we got a problem. We've got an issue. This is a, a negative conjunction, a conjunction of contradiction. And it is where we live, and it is what we face. And Peter writes, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is antagonism. This is belligerence. This is battle. False teachers have been, are now, and always will be among us. And we're going to deal with them in chapter 2. And we're going to be here for a few weeks. So today we begin to dive into this chapter and expose what God says by way of Peter's hand, these false teachers. The outline of the chapter is in the, in the um, sermon journal that you were given, and if you want one, but uh, we deal in chapter 2 and verse 1 with false teachers, their cancellation, what they want to cancel. And then we're going to deal with false teachers, their character, and we're going to see what they're really like. Not what they appear to be, but what they really like. If you have one of those little red books, you notice the front picture has some lambs and some sheep, and right next to it is a wolf head in sheep's clothing. You see that? Sometimes we can't see the wolf because they're in sheep's clothing. But God gives us a description of them, and He tells us what He says they are like. And then we're going to deal... In chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, with false teachers, their converts, their followers. And then we will deal with their condemnation in chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through. And then their conclusions. What does it end with? What, what, what is life like when someone follows a false teacher? Where do they wind up in their life? And in their eternity. But today we need to look at their cancellation. And all false teachers 
and all false doctrine has an ultimate end. When one ignores God's Word and is not faithful to it, his or her doctrine will ultimately deny, contradict, and even combat the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is. All false doctrine and all false teachers have that one thing in common. They will deny the biblical truth and the biblical doctrine of salvation that Christ provides and the sovereignty of Christ. There is one word or one phrase in this verse that we're going to deal with today and we're going to deal with next Sunday on Easter Sunday. You know, sometimes the calendar comes about and you have special Sundays and you're preaching through a book and you have to battle it out and pray it through. Lord, do I take a break from the book that I'm preaching through? And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Uh, you know, sometimes I may take a special Sunday and preach on Mother's Day, a Mother's Day sermon, or a Father's Day sermon, or something like that. Then sometimes we just stay the course. That just depends upon where the Lord leads and how things play out in and, and the preaching plan, and God leads in that. But today and next Sunday, there's one line in chapter 2, verse 1, just one line that hits upon... These two Sundays, even next Sunday, the resurrection. And that line is this, even denying the Lord that bought them. So for the next two Sundays, we're going to deal with that. And it deals with the redemption of Christ, which we're going to talk about today. And it also deals with the resurrection of Christ, which we will talk about next week. Even denying the Lord that bought them. If you watch the news or if you're keeping up with what is going on in culture, you have heard the phrase cancel culture. They're trying to cancel everything. People out there, different groups, trying to cancel pretty much everything about the American history and American culture. It's just amazing. Uh, look, if you want to honor me... Take me to eat a steak. Don't put a statue up of me because in two generations they'll tear it down. All right? I don't think you'd want to do that anyway. But I mean, they're, they're just uh, canceling culture. Now, there's, a, there's a, a phrase, there's some truth about that we need to recognize in America. We, we, we um, have sins in our past as, a, as in our history that need to be uh, perhaps dealt with, perhaps already have. Uh, but uh, you know what? Individual people die and go to hell without Christ. Individuals need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you know what? That'll change culture. That'll change culture. But even in the church, there is a cancel culture. There are fundamentals of the faith that we hold to, that the Bible teaches, that are dear to the hearts of the redeemed of the Lord, that are being canceled, that are being combated against in our day and age. 
And so before we partake of the Lord's Supper here in a moment, let's take a look at what the Lord's Supper stands for and what we are to remember about it and what is being denied. One of the two major doctrines that are being denied today by many. First of all, I will show you the seriousness of their denial. If you will look at verse 2, he says, even denying, even denying. This conjunction, even, highlights the very arrogance of one who would deny the redeeming power of our Savior. The word deny is a strong, combatant word. It's an arrogant word. It means to refuse, to say no, not just nah, but no, in the hardest, firm resolve. The height of arrogance before God is to say absolutely not to His redeeming love and His redeeming grace. And then, after denying the redemption we have in Christ from our sins, to fabricate some other way to invent, to draw up, to plot, to plan some other way of redeeming oneself from sin is the height of arrogance. It is such a serious offense that you will notice God says in verse 1 of chapter 2, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon them swift destruction. Swift destruction. The grace of God and the patience of God will end one day for these false teachers and their followers. And the Bible says here their destruction will be brought upon them quick and without restraint. Dear friend, we preach an intolerant gospel today. We preach an exclusive gospel from the Bible. And we must. We cannot deny our purchased, the purchase price, redemption. And so, with that being said, that word even emphasizes the seriousness of this, so much so that God says... I will bring upon them swift destruction. And the second thing we need to consider is the salvation that is denied. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, this is a denial of redemption. The Lord that bought them. The Lord that bought them. Redeemed them. Redeemed them. When Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and they were a people that were giving way to the sinful flesh. Paul said, what? What are you doing? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, because you have been bought with a price and you are not your own, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's redemption. 
Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, the previous letter that we just finished a few weeks ago. Verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle received by the tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is the redemption paid for on the cross that the Bible speaks of. That's how we are redeemed from the curse of the law, the wrath of God upon us. God paid the price for us with His blood on the cross. Now, can you imagine? But that is denied, and it has been denied from day one. In Paul's day, Peter's day, when the church came into being, first rattle out of the box, there were those who would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We know Jesus died on the cross, but that is insufficient. You Gentiles need to become Jews first and you add to redemption. Then, as the church expanded throughout the Roman world into the Gentile nations of the world, there were the, the Gnostics, the mystics, who would deny the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. All flesh is sinful. Read the Bible. So God could not be Christ cannot be God come in the flesh because flesh is so sinful. I guess they didn't hear about the virgin birth. And so on and on it goes. There will always be those who deny the redeeming blood of the Lamb. Always. It has always been and always will be. You may not have heard much contradiction like that. Well, be thankful to that. But I want to tell you in other places in our country, and not only in other places, but even here, salvation by the shed blood of Christ is either ignored or fought against. It is a heresy that is always among us. And we must remain true to the Word of God. Throughout the centuries, the doctrine of the redemption of the blood of Christ and the cross has been attacked by false teachers. It seems the theology of the cross is the center point, is ground zero. Now, I can give you dozens of heresies, dozens of philosophies, dozens of doctrines that have been taught 
and even preached throughout history about the cross. But I want to spare you that. I don't want to do that to you today. So what I've done is I have summarized them in three categories. The first is that the cross was simply a tragedy. His death was unplanned. His death was un unplanned. God came to earth, and everybody loves a Christmas story, angels singing, shepherds uh, seeing the star, wise men coming from the east. Oh, it's beautiful. God, uh, God started on a good start. Then he was baptized. Oh, wasn't that a magnificent experience? And then here comes Satan, and Jesus defeated him in temptation. And that was good. And Jesus did some wonderful things on earth, hoping to attract people to himself, to hear his message. But what happened? They turned against him. They got jealous, and so they nailed him to the cross. Uh-oh. It was a tragedy. The cross was unplanned. Let me show you what God says about that. If you go with me to Acts chapter 2, I want to read a verse of Scripture to you. This is the context of old Peter. We're still hearing from old Peter. It's the day of Pentecost. Christ has been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and He ascended up to the Father, and He told His disciples, wait in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit's going to come down and dwell in you, and you're going to be my witnesses all over the world. And that's what happens. And Peter stands up to preach the very first sermon of the church. It's a remarkable message. And in that sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Peter said that it was God who determined the cross. Brother Larry Gartman, it was God who said the cross will come about. It was God who orchestrated the cross. And he has every right to hold men accountable with their wicked hands who crucified the Lord of glory. God is sovereign, and he determined the cross. And then if you... Go back to 2 Peter and then flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's at it again. And he says, you know what? You were not redeemed with those corruptible things. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter says, God foreordained before the foundation of the world, the cross. Have you ever wondered why it is, why it is that blood has to be shed for the remission of sins? Have you ever wondered why it is that God required the death of Christ for your sin or your eternal death in hell for your sin? Have you ever wondered why it's like this in the Bible? Why does there have to be a redemption to be paid? I will tell you why. There is a long lost doctrine that is not preached very often anymore and it's called the decrees of God. What God has decreed. And God has decreed that because of His character of holiness, that sin and rebellion against Him and disobedience to His will must always be judged. And the penalty is death. That's what God has decreed. But God is not only holy and just, in His same character, He is loving and gracious and merciful. The mercy of God endureth forever. And so He decreed and could not contradict Himself. So He decreed the cross. And Jesus went to the cross and God substituted Christ for you and laid upon Him your sin and your disobedience to His will. He put it on Jesus when He died on the cross. That's why God the Son could die, because He became sin for us. And it was the decree of Almighty God Himself, and in that decree He manifested His justice. He manifested His wrath. He manifested His hatred for all that is unholy and ungodly and sinful. He manifested His hatred for every little white lie. He manifested His hatred for every act of adultery, every look of lust, every shameful word, every thought that comes to your mind that is unholy and unrighteous. He manifested His hatred for it on the cross. But he also manifested his great love. For in that while we were yet sinners, hated, despised because of it, God commended his love for us and died for us on the cross. The cross was planned by God. And by the way, these heretics will talk about redemption. Who is being paid who, 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 who is receiving the redemption price? It's God Himself in His holiness. Nowhere in Scripture do you find God paying the devil. That's a heresy, and we used to burn people at the stake for that. That's a heresy. It's God's standard. 
It's God-determinate counsel. It's God who planned the cross. And in it we see His love and His mercy. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that magnificent? No wonder the, no wonder the cherubim in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord, were singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. No wonder Peter, at that miracle of fish, laid down before the Lord, facing the ground, and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. No wonder John, when he saw Jesus, he didn't start dancing. He fell on his face. No wonder when Paul saw the majesty and holiness of God and was taken to the third heaven, he didn't come down and write a book and brag about it. He said, I cannot speak of it. The cross was planned by Almighty God. Think of the love and the grace in that. That moment you were saved was planned and prepared before the foundation of the world. Your salvation is older than you are. So that's a heresy to say the cross was unplanned. But there's another heretic, heresy that the cross was unwanted. They deny the Lord that bought them, that redeemed them by saying Jesus was simply a martyr. You might have heard that before. Jesus was a martyr. You know, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you something from Scripture, and I'm going to give you a quote from a man who loved Scripture. One of my favorite authors, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, British pastor at Westminster, London. Lloyd-Jones said something very interesting, and I agree with him. Lloyd-Jones said that if Jesus were, to, were a martyr, if Jesus were a martyr, and I say with great reverence, this is D. Martin Jones now, he was an inferior martyr. Read the accounts of the martyrs throughout the years. They died with courage. They died without hesitation. Their death was triumphant and rejoicing. However, when Jesus thought of his death, he groaned in his spirit. If it be possible, let this cup pass. The martyrs did not pray this way. Paul said, I am ready to be offered. No, Jesus was not a martyr. He didn't die like a martyr. He died like a sacrifice for our sins. John chapter 10 says it so clearly that the cross was not unwanted. Listen to this. John 10 verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I say, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore doth my Father love me, verse 17 to John 10, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You know what? Old Pilate thought he had the power, didn't he? And Jesus said... No, you don't. You don't have anything that my Father hadn't given you. So the cross was not unplanned, and the cross was not unwanted. It was not unwanted. But today, 
There is a resurrection in new form and new names about the cross. The latest vein of false teachers. Remember, folks, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan has been a liar from day one. He's a liar and he's the father of all lies. And his lies hadn't changed. At some point in history, even somewhere in the scriptures, these same lies have been told. But, you know, he's a master at refabricating them and making them sound so good. He throws in some wonderful terminology for us to grasp a hold of. I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with the word justice, isn't it? Huh? It's hard to disagree with the word uh, climate. But he sure does package things up, doesn't he? But the latest, the fool's gold now is the cross of Christ was unnecessary. This is what your kids are hearing. This is what's being proclaimed on the major platforms of modern technology and culture. That the cross, in essence was unnecessary. There's a preacher, and I loosely call him that. Well, go ahead. Shoot it up there, Gary. No, Jesus is not the only way to salvation, and Jesus never said that. What you're referring to is probably John 14, 6, in which Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What Jesus was saying is that if you follow my way, follow my truth, follow my life, I will lead you to God. You will know what God is like by following my path. He wasn't saying you need to join my religion. And if he was, he was inviting you to join Judaism, not Christianity, because Christianity didn't exist. Jesus was simply inviting people to emulate his path, to follow his example as a way to connect to their creator, to connect to God. And you can follow Jesus' path and be a part of many different religions or no religion at all. Religion is not a requirement to know God. It's not a requirement to experience salvation, which simply means wholeness, restoration. Again, you can do that as a part of any religion or no religion. Just follow Jesus' path of loving your neighbor. Now, folks, that, you think, oh, I'm never, that's not a big deal. That kind of stuff been around for years. And you might say, I've never heard that before, and I, I get on the computer. I've never heard that before. Let me tell you something about that young man. His name is Brandon Robertson. Rolling Stone magazine on the cover recently said, Robertson is spreading the good word of an inclusive modern gospel. Every week he is viewed by millions. Hundreds of thousands of followers, the Metanoia Church, an internet pastor. That's where the young people are going. That's where the millennials are going. That's what our culture is hearing and listening to. Just by half of this sermon or three quarters of this sermon that I've just preached, I'm a prude and an intolerant bigot. And so let's listen to somebody else who's more inclusive and has a sweeter, kinder tone. That's where they're going. Over 70% of 
of the young people in churches like ours, evangelical churches, when they graduate from high school, they leave the faith. They abandon it. And they got to go somewhere. And that's where they're going. Folks, that's not coming. That's here. Millions of followers. And I'm going to show you something else next week about the doctrine of the resurrection. Millions. That's what they're watching. When uh, I sent this to the sound people back there, we do that by email a lot of times and all that stuff. They don't let me near that equipment. But when uh, Gary saw that, he said, Dr. Mike, he said, the scary thing about that's not what he said. The scary thing about it is it's so accessible. And the millions that listen to him and agree with him. That is the modern approach of Satan to attack the doctrine of redemption. Now, I want to tell you, he's, he's wrong about everything. But um, I'll highlight just one thing. He said that if, if Jesus is calling you to a religion, he's calling you to Judaism because Christianity wasn't formed yet. That's what he said. You remember that? Please don't make me play it again. Anyway. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. What a flawed notion. And perhaps that's the problem with our young people who leave the church who leave the Word of God. Perhaps that's where the issue lies. Christianity, friend, is not a religion. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ. Christianity wasn't invented when Jesus was born. It wasn't, it wasn't showing up on the scene when He died on the cross, and to Him the cross would be unnecessary. Christianity is Christ. Jesus is the great I am. He was the burning bush. He was there when Abraham was there, and Abraham rejoiced to see his day. All things were created by him and for him. He is the great eternal I am, always existent and self-existent. Christianity is Christ. It's not a religion. If all you got is religion, let me tell you something. This religion that we say, oh, we're practicing, and that religion out there and over there and the ones in the east and the ones in the west, let me tell you, they're all about the same. They'll all send you to hell. You can go to hell with all of them. You better know Jesus. And you better have the redeeming work of Jesus. And like us old-fashioned Baptists like to say, you better be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You need to be born again and have the indwelling Christ in you if you're going to go to heaven when you die. And by the way, if you're going to heaven when you'll die, you'll have a lot of heaven in you while you're living. And it'll change your life. That's what the epistles are about. We mentioned that sermon in Acts chapter 2 where old Peter preached. That's the first sermon in every sermon, every Bible sermon that's ever been preached follows that same outline that Peter preached. 
Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ exalted. And you take a sermon that talks about how you should live at work and how you should witness, that's Christ exalted. You exalting Christ in your life. It's about Christ. Christianity is Christ from start to finish. The Bible teaches what is called the substitutionary atonement of Christ. By the eternal decree of God Himself, there is no redemption from sin's curse. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. This is revealed and manifested and illustrated throughout the entire Old Testament and manifested in Christ. God is just and by His own decree has established that sin must be judged by death. There is no pass, no exceptions, none. God is just. Romans 3.23 says it like this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says all have sinned. All have sinned. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. What does that mean, propitiation? To be the satisfaction. He satisfies God. You know what that means? The cross is sufficient to save. The cross is sufficient to satisfy God's wrath. Cling to the cross. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, this is one of my favorite truths of Scripture, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. How can God be God? All who He is in complete justice. How can He be God and allow a sinner, me and you, to have His blessings, His presence, a home in heaven, a mansion just over the hilltop? How? Can he do that? If he does it, he'll not be just. But in Christ, on the cross, he can be just and the justifier of the sinner because he put everything about you on Jesus. And then when you call upon him and are saved, he takes everything about Jesus and puts it on you. That's pretty good exchange, isn't it? That's the glory of God. Another way of putting it is by the singer in the book of Psalms. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I have a series of sermons on the cross. I don't know if I preached them here or not. I have to go back and look. Called Kisses of Calvary. And you got Judas's kiss. 
You know that, right? You got that woman who came in and kissed his feet and anointed him with oil. You got that kiss. But you also have the kiss on the cross, Brother Will, where the mercy of God and his holy just, justice and wrath kissed each other at the cross. That's what the psalmist said. And so, let's not ever stray away from that message. I predict it will get more and more unpopular in our nation. More and more unpopular. It will be criticized in our nation as it already is. And good old Bible Belt Mississippi folk will not be immune. It'll all get here one day. It's already here. It can enter any of your kids' cell phone, any of their computer. It could slip into this church, unbeknownst to me. I promise you, I'll guard against it. But when I have to shoot them down, don't shoot at me. Amen. Sometimes you got to shoot one of them down. Everybody else gets mad at you because they're so sweet. And they're so kind. And they're so likable. And Dr. Mike, you're not that way. Well, I won't tell you. I'll stand. I pray I will. And I pray you will too. But that we can never, ever forfeit. If we do, we're, we're gone. If we do, we will make our community a twofold child of hell, like the Pharisees did the people of Israel in Matthew 23. That only by the shedding of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, can a man be cleansed from his sin. Can a woman be cleansed? Can a little boy or a little girl be cleansed from their sin? That's redemption. God established that price. God decreed that. Manifesting His love and His justice, His mercy and His wrath, His whole character, the cross says it all. Let's bow in prayer and begin to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.